It's episode 390 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show. Like I said, it's episode 390, 10 episodes away from episode 400. Man, we are closing in on that mark, and I still don't know what we're going to do. If you have any ideas, man, I'd love to add them to the list of some awesome suggestions we already have from some other listeners. It would just be amazing to do something special for the big 400. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. This week is also pretty amazing because I have got an interview with somebody that I've been a fan of for a long time. I've been aware of this man's work, especially in all things Monster Kid. We've got author, filmmaker, dinosaur enthusiast, one of the original Monster Kids, if I do say so myself, Donald F. Glute. The man's here for an interview. We're going to talk a little bit about his past, talk about a few other things that he did leading up to the release of his new movie, which is coming out next week-ish, I guess, like maybe nine days as of this recording, Tales of Frankenstein. I am stoked. I've been following the production of Tales of Frankenstein for quite some time, and to know that it's finally going to be available man it's gonna be good times i'm looking forward to that film and after you're done listening to the conversation that i had with mr glute well i think you're gonna be excited too that's my cat wednesday in the background don't know if you can hear her but she's also very excited about Don glute and excited about the music that we're playing this week on the show it comes from the band monokini it's from their album systopia and the song is called Marvelous Equations. You can find them at monokini.bandcamp.com. They're a surf band based out of Bavaria, Germany. Swing by and let them know that you heard about them here on the show. Now, the interview with Mr. Glute is not the only thing you're going to hear this week. Last week, I had an opportunity to go to Weird Wednesday again at the Joy Cinema. And while I was there, I got to introduce last week's film, which was the classic film Iga. I wasn't there by myself. Jeff Pollier and Dominique Lamsey's were there as well. So they joined me for a brief discussion about the film after the screening. Man, that was a lot of fun. So that's going to be in this episode as well. Which segment am I going to play first in this episode? Well, stay tuned because you're going to find out here in a second. And of course, we'll end the show with some feedback. from end to end. Even Scotland Yard is baffled. But two men of intrepid daring fight back. It's Abbott and Costello at their hilarious best. 
Battling fiction's most fearsome themes in Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Co-starring Boris Karloff as Robert Louis Stevenson's fabulous double demon. Mr. Hyde will kill him. Mr. Hyde will kill him. With Helen Westhut, Craig Stevens, and Reginald Denny. Bud and Lou are tearing up the town, trapping the beast among a bevy of beauties, adding turmoil to terror in a house of horrors that would frighten even Frankenstein. Come on, we can catch your master. Give me a hand. And what a riot when they get funny notions from deadly potions. Hey, Slim. What? Those guys must be seeing things. Pay no attention to them. They're drunk. You know, there's always a way of... I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen, and that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again, and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Come in. I surprised her in the room. She was not alone. With my own hands, I killed her. Starring Boris Karloff. Take this gun. Escort this gentleman from the castle. If he resists, kill him. The terror, his evil mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. The terror, empowered to avenge, to reward, to transform. I do love you. Is she a blood and flesh beauty a man can enjoy? I am possessed of the dead. Or is she a gossamer myth created by a madman's distorted desires? Take your life as you took mine and bring us together forever. Join Boris Karloff the Frankenstein monster of all horror motion pictures in his most blood-chilling screen experience. 
Monster Kid Radio listeners, I'd like to welcome to the show somebody who's been involved in monster movie fandom for years. He's been involved with comics, a little bit of television, film, novels. The man has done so much, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Hopefully he doesn't mind making a little side trip to Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show, Donald F. Glute. Well, glad to be here. Let me ask you a question before we start. Yes, sir. Are you related to the director of Frankenstein 1970? Oh, I wish. I wish I could call that, claim that. <laughs> Howard W., uh, and I'm not sure if he pronounces his name, Koch or Cook, but uh, spelled the same way. It is spelled the same way, but man, if I could claim that, I don't know what that would do for my Monster Kid status, but I, I would take it in a minute. Ah, well, they probably can't disprove it, so, you know, <laughs> you're okay there. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. I, I am officially now related to the director of Frankenstein 1970, yeah. according to uh, Mr. Glute here. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine, but it's Don, please. Well, Don, I have been aware of you for years. I don't think anybody who reads any of the old monster magazines or really kind of pays attention to monster kid fandom doesn't know who you are. But for listeners who maybe don't or haven't been paying attention, you've been involved in just being a fan of these things for years, from like your teenage years, right? Well, even before that, I saw, you know, like, some of the real art reissues of the Frankenstein movies before I was really a teenager in theaters. And so um, I loved monster movies and science fiction and horror pictures and fantasy films, but also other kinds of movies, westerns, jungle movies, crime movies, uh, prison movies. I like all kinds of movies, but I guess the, um, the fantastic is what really uh, pushed the buttons on me most of all. That's a good way to put it. A nice umbrella to say it's all fantastic. You've got a love for dinosaur films, and, and I know that you've done a lot in the fandom. And some people even credit you as making the first superhero fan film with your Spider-Man movie. That's, uh, now I'm not really sure about that, because I made that movie in 1973. I went to New York to the New York Comic Book Convention, and where somebody else had a Spider-Man movie, and that was... Uh, I think more professional looking than mine, but not quite as fast paced as mine. And I think that movie was made around the same time, maybe right a little bit after, maybe even a little bit before, but approximately the same time. Uh, so I'm not really sure. I think it's the first one that really got any notoriety. Um, so maybe it was the first. Yeah, we would call them fan films now. I think back then they were called amateur films. And there seemed to be a number of people making these amateur films inspired by the things they love. You'd read about them in Famous Monsters of Filmland and maybe in Castle of Frankenstein. And I'm just fascinated by the community that popped up around those magazines. I mean, today it's easier with the Internet and Facebook and Twitter and Skype and everything that we can connect with anybody around the world. But back then you just had the magazine. It seemed like a, an amazing community. It was, and in back in those days, there weren't any books or videos or anything like that, or TV shows, to tell you how to make these movies. You know, the, the studios were very secretive and possessive about their secrets, so they weren't telling you how to do special effects or anything. And as far as I knew at the time, when I started out, I didn't know anybody else in the world that was making amateur films. We were calling them home movies back then. Mm. So I had to figure everything out. Myself. I mean, I invented stop motion because, in a way, because when uh, I made my first stop motion dinosaur film, I was convinced that movies like The Beast and 20,000 Fathoms and King Kong were using little robots, that those were electronically controlled mechanical creatures. I, I had no idea what stop motion was. I never heard of it. And then one day I got the idea, well, if you can make a cartoon 
creature come to life by making a series of drawings. What if instead of a series of drawings, you had a model and you just moved it a little bit? And so I tried it. We had a little bit of extra film. We were shooting some home movies with the family, and there was a little film left in it. So I set the camera up on the tripod in, the, in our kitchen, and I, I took a, a number of cooking utensils and dishware and things, and I moved them around. And when the film came back, lo and behold, they were moving around. And that's when I kind of figured it out. I didn't know who Ray Harryhausen was until I'd seen Jack the Giant Killer and didn't even know how it was done up until that point. And I was on a vacation in California and showing my amateur films to Bob Burns, Jim Harmon, and Ron Haydock up at CBS. And Bob was working there at the time as an editor. And they were talking about Jack the Giant Killer, which had just opened on Hollywood Boulevard. And they were talking about, Harry, I said, who's this Harry Housing you keep talking about? And that's when I, it all sort of came together. And I found out that Actually, I was doing it the right way, just on a less prof- way less professional scale than Ray was doing. And people can see a lot of these movies. There was a DVD release several years back called I Was a Teenage Movie Maker that's got a long-form interview with you as well as a collection of a number of these home movies. I own the set, and I highly recommend people check it out. You can also stream it on Amazon as well. So highly recommend it. It's got the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval. They're a lot of fun, very entertaining. And I was going to say even the Spider-Man short has some stop motion in it. Yeah, it was, a, uh, it was one of those Captain Action figures. And, you know, it's crude, but, you know, in those days, especially when I was younger, when I was making the early ones, I knew they, you know, I knew you weren't seeing perfection on a special effect or a edit or something. But to me, it, it wasn't that I was trying to fool anyone or show them that this was actually, re- make it look like it was actually real. I guess I was trying to get the impression across of what the effect was supposed to look like. I, you know, I did dissolves on my later werewolf changes and things, you know, lap dissolves, and they weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought anybody watching would, would know what I was trying to do, and that would be enough. And the strange thing, too, I'd never seen, especially look when I put that DVD together and looking at those old films, um, and I didn't want to edit them. I wanted them to be exactly what people saw back in the days when I, when I made those films. I never seemed to grasp the idea of a retake. I never seemed to understand back then that, hey, if something didn't turn out, you know, if something came out too dark or whatever, that you could reshoot it. It was like once it was done, it was done. It was carved in stone. And that was <laughs> something I wish I had learned back then, but it just never seemed to sink in or, or, or occur to me. Well, I would imagine with it being film that you've got to send out to be processed and that sort of thing, you'd have to have a lot of patience to wait for the footage to come back and then see if it's any good. And then if you're going to go back and reshoot it and send such a home movie, do you still have the set? Do you still have the locations ready? That sort of thing. These days with video, you can just kind of review it right away. and then Yeah, you know. and, and some of those sets were just my basement or the backyard or the local cemetery. But you're right. You have to wait for the film to come back. And with color, you could get it like within 24 hours, and it took it to a, a good camera shop. With the black and white, it sometimes took a week. Those are the longest weeks of my life, you know, added up, <laughs> sitting around wondering, hoping, hoping against hope that you had an image, that you, you, you know, that the, you, you, your light was, was enough, or it wasn't too much. You weren't going to get something underexposed or overexposed. Just getting the image on there was, or that if you were shooting a miniature, you didn't get the end of the table, in a way, or you know, and and if you did, that's what, so you know, that's what you had. That's what the way it stayed. But you're right; that weight 
shooting on film, and film was expensive. Now, you know, when you're a little kid, when you're nine years old and you're saving up for a $3.50 roll of black and white film, and you didn't have $3.50, and then you had to spend money for the processing, those were big budgets in those days. It seems to be a lot more... Uh accessible to fans these days with all the technology and everything. I mean, I'm shooting YouTube videos and it's, it, you know, it's something that I have an immediate gratification out of. So I, I can imagine just sitting around waiting for something to come back, waiting for something to come back, fingers crossed, hoping against hope that everything worked out great. But it's not only that, it's, I think it takes the fun out of it when somebody tells you how to do it. When you can read an instruction book or something, this is how we they'll make a spaceship or something. You know, when you have to figure it out, you look at the real movie in the theater or on television and say, gee, how did they... I mean, nobody says that anymore. Nobody goes to the movies and nudges the guy next to you and saying, hey, how did they do that? You know how they did it. It's some guy sitting behind a computer keyboard, you know, tapping away. That's how, how, how it's done now. So that sense of, first of all, that sense of wonder, not knowing how they did a certain kind of a scene, and also figuring it out yourself, and lo and behold... It sort of comes out the way you thought it was going to come out. You know, that's a big deal. That was a big deal. There's a, a tactileness yeah, to it yeah. as well because you're actually doing it. You're getting the makeup and the latex and the, the stuff in your hands, and, and you're, you can smell the makeup and the grease paint while you're doing it. There's just something magical about that. I mean, I know CG is way of the land now, but there's just something magical about the physical aspect of it. Yeah, and even when you're shooting a real movie, you know, mm -hmm. when I shot my first movie, uh, Dinosaur Valley Girls, that we shot in 1994, we still had to send the film out and wait till it came back and hope that's, that we're, what we're getting back is what we had in mind when we shot it. But now you can immediately see on the set, we're shooting digital, you have a monitor screen so you can see exactly where your frame ends. And I, I tend to be kind of old school, I tend to not look at the the monitor enough. I like to watch the actors working and see little nuances in the performances and things. And I just, it's a joy for me to see the performance live as opposed to just seeing it on the screen. Sometimes I, I drive my people on a little bit crazy because I'm not looking at the monitor, but where I should be looking. But Alfred Hitchcock never needed a monitor, you know? <laughs> if it works for Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. There is something that we do here with every guest on Monster Kid Radio I'd like to do with you, sir. And I feel like we've already kind of broken the ice, but I've got a little icebreaker game that we play with everybody. We call it the Classic Five. I've got a deck of cards here, and each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer kind of question about classic monster movies. Okay. There are no wrong answers. Uh, some people call it a game. Some people call it a conversation starter. We just call it the Classic Five. How do you feel about playing around with the Classic Five with me, Don? Oh, sure. I'm game for anything. All right, here we go. Card number one, right off the top of my deck. If you had to pick one of the classic Universal monster movies that could use just one more sequel, what would it be? One more sequel? Um, mm -hmm. Discounting uh, Abbott Costello? Sure. And not counting Abbott Costello as part of the series. I would do a, I guess, House of the Wolfman. That's a lo the logical one, but somebody actually made a movie not, not that long ago with that title. Mm -hmm. But I would have just um, made another movie where the Wolfman is not cured. Uh, in the movie, they say, be careful. You know, any, any excess action or violence or whatever he says could reverse everything I did. So there was an out there for the Wolfman, and um, that's what I would have done. I would have done a sequel to House of Dracula. Okay. All right, card number two, which movie do you prefer, Son of Kong or Mighty Joe Young? Oh, gosh, that is a tough one. Son of Kong has dinosaurs in it, but Mighty Joe Young is a much better movie, so I guess it would have to be Mighty Joe Young. Mighty Joe Young. 
Here's the kind of movie you're waiting to see as John Ford and Miriam C. Cooper present Mighty Joe Young, whose sensational exploits will startle you, thrill you, electrify you with hair-raising excitement and suspense. See Mighty Joe Young as he savagely resists capture in his native Africa. See the most fantastic relationship between beast and beauty. A mere girl mastering a primitive giant. See mighty Joe Young, enraged by Hollywood pranksters, destroy Filmland's swankiest nightclub on the fabulous Sunset Strip. Mighty Joe Young, the picture that's alive with the most sensational action thrills ever filmed. Mightier than King Kong. Mighty Joe Young. I picked that one on purpose because I know you've got a love for dinosaurs, so wasn't totally random. Forgive me. <laughs> All right, card number three. Dwight Fry as Dracula's Renfield or Frankenstein's Fritz? That is a real tough one. Uh, they're both so so excellent. And, and I'm glad you didn't throw in Carl from Bride of Frankenstein or Rudy from Frankenstein. He's a wolfman. As being so partial to Frankenstein, I would have to say Fritz. I love things like when he pulls up his sock and it, it's a real tough call on that one. So it's a, a little bit more on Fritz. Okay. Okay. Uh, card number four. What is your favorite William Castle film? Right. Oh, that's no, no problem there. Uh, House on Haunted Hill. I'm Vincent Price. And you're invited to my party in the house on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. <laughs> so won't you come and make it eight? It makes no sense, but it's the one I can watch more often than the others. And maybe second... Oh, wait a minute. No. Uh, it, well, let me put it this way. Um, I, there's two answers for this. Okay. A two-part answer. Uh, for just sheer entertainment and fun, House on Haunted Hill. But for it being a better movie, more suspenseful than everything, I would say uh, homicidal. A new and shocking movie experience. <coughs> Your full admission refunded if you are too frightened to see all of homicidal. And nobody has ever answered that that really? way. Everybody always goes to like House on Haunted Hill or Tingler or something like that. Homicidal, though, is a solid film. I mean, it's not just about the gimmick, you know, it's a solid film. So, hmm. And it's very heavily influenced by uh, Psycho. Yes. Yeah. So, again, if it works for Hitchcock, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> final card. Uh, this is also another Universal Movies card. Which character do you th like best or prefer? Bride of Frankenstein's Dr. Pretorius or House of Frankenstein's Gustav Niemann? I think probably Dr. Pretorius. My favorite actor is still Boris Karloff, but... He's kind of, you know, I think he's kind of slumming in that movie. I think he's, he's not, it's not one of his greater performances where where uh, Dr. Pretorius, Ernest Thesiger, is just, it's like Lugosi. He's just giving you the 100% performance in that. So I guess it would be Dr. Pretorius. He's so over the top, and I wish that character got more action, you know, that appeared in other films or something, that Universal did more with him, because Dr. Pretorius yeah. is great. There was a movie called Dr. Pretorius, I think maybe starring Cary Grant, but it's like a really early movie and has nothing to do with our Dr. Pretorius. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. I don't think I've seen that or heard of that. I'll have to check it out. Take, take some notes here. Well, that was the classic five. How do you feel, Don? You win. Oh, fine. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. What do I win? <laughs> you get to be on Monster Kid Radio. Oh, okay. All right. I already won that. No oh, way. There you go. There you go. You know, I wanted to end on a Frankenstein-style card because you're making the rounds. You're making some news because you've made a movie. Is it still in post-production, the Frankenstein film? No, no, 
it's done. Excellent. 200 years ago, a legend was born. Written by a teenaged girl, it is the one story that has constantly horrified the world with one name. Frankenstein. Now, four tales of terror emerge from the past in an anthology film unlike any other. Tales of Frankenstein. The great death is the plague that rots the flesh. Vincent is an idiot. What with all his precious jewels, everyone in this town is an idiot. The name is Mo Gambo. Sir. Graves. What are you doing? We come. We are going to rob graves. You look like you've seen a ghost. No ghost. Frankenstein. Hard to believe. We're not living in 19th century Transylvania. Tales of Frankenstein. On the 19th of October, that's when it uh, is officially released on um, both you know, streaming and also on DVD and Blu-ray. And then on the 24th of October, we're having what we're calling the cast and crew premiere, and that'll be in the theater. And uh, it's all that's all set. I won't give the date, I won't give the, the place yet, but it's it's going to be cast and crew, and it will be also open to the public. Public has to buy tickets, though, and the cast and crew will be all, you know, free invites. So that's the schedule. We're, we're toying with doing a limited theatrical release. There's a theater owned by a very good friend of um, Ann Robinson, who's in my movie, and he really loves Ann Robinson, and he wants to show her movies, but she hasn't made a movie since, uh, except for this one, since War, the War of the Worlds remake. So the last person to direct her before me was Steven Spielberg. And he owns two theaters, one on Hollywood Boulevard, and we're talking to him about maybe doing a limited release at his theater, maybe midnight showings a la Rocky Horror Picture Show, and we're also thinking going the out art house circuit because this is still what you would consider a little movie. It's not it's not the Avengers Infinity War. It's not uh, Independence Day or anything like that. It's it's you know it's got special ef- practical effects, makeups. You know, it's a movie with real stories and real actors and real you know plots and things. And so uh, it's not the kind of movie where people are going to go expecting to see a million CGI effects and. All that they're you know want something smaller, so we we may go the art house circuit with with that also. It's all very exciting now because um, even though nobody's seen the movie, it's getting a terrific response, and a lot of that has to do with I think two things. One is um, that this is the 200th anniversary of Mary Shelley's novel, and also I think people are getting really 
tired of seeing nothing but special effects. You know, everything looks kind of like you're trapped in a video game somewhere. Uh, or everything looks like a high-tech cartoon. This is um, old school in so many ways. And uh, it's going to bring back memories of the Hammer films and film noir and old dark house movies and things. I, th- I think people have will find it a breath of fresh air. The movie's called Tales of Frankenstein, and if I'm looking at your filmography correctly, is this the first time you've done a Frankenstein film professionally? Yes, and the reason for that is, now this is my eighth movie. Okay. And in the, in the past, most of them have been like these really sexy, softcore things. They were, I didn't want to tarnish the Frankenstein name by doing something that I might be ashamed of later on. You know, <laughs> I wanted to wait until the time was right, and you know, I was a good enough director that I, I wouldn't do anything that Mary will be turning over in her grave on because of. Uh, so I, I thought the time was right now. And then when I realized the 200th anniversary was coming up of her novel, I said, yeah, this is the time to do it. And coincidentally, when we shot one of the segments, and you know, it's got four story segments in it, like the old Amicus films. Once I decided to make the movie, one of the segments, just by coincidence, was Mary Shelley's birthday. So, so that was kind of a, a cool feeling on the set. We all wished her a happy birthday and everything. And, and that was a nice surprise for me. <laughs> that's, that's incredible and nice timing and it was meant to be. <laughs> yes. I am looking at some of the other titles that you've done. And uh, I do see that you've worked with uh, people like Paul Nashy in the past and some real genre legends. But now with Tales of Frankenstein, I mean, that is the genre legend. What is it about the Frankenstein monster that keeps you coming back? Because you've written a series of novels about Frankenstein's monster. It, it just seems to have a hold on you. What is it about that story and that creature that gets you? Uh, Frankenstein is like dinosaurs. I've been in, into both of them since I was a little kid. And I remember how it all started. I was in a theater when I was a little kid, maybe nine years old, seven years old, something like that, with my mother and my grandmother in Chicago. A theater was called The Music Box, which is where I had my first theatrical premiere, uh, well, my theatrical premiere of a couple movies ago called Blood Scarab. And so it was like coming home and having this premiere in the theater where I saw my first movies. And we were watching a movie, I believe it was Tap Roots, Boris Karloff was in it. I had no idea who Boris Karloff was. Um, I went there because it was a Western. And my mother nudged me. She said, oh, that's the actor who played Frankenstein. I said, Frankenstein? I never heard that name before, but it kind of, a ring to it, I guess. And on the way home, we were walking home from the theater. And I remember where I was. We were walking down Southport Avenue and towards Gray Street, where we would have made the turn. And I asked my mother, who's Frankenstein? And she said, oh, that was a man who was brought back to life, a dead man who was brought back to life, which was not entirely accurate. But for some reason, that intrigued me, and I started actively at that age trying to find out things about Frankenstein. And I didn't know what he looked like because there weren't monster magazines then, and they weren't putting pictures in the the local newspapers or anything of the Frankenstein monster. The only visual I had was the Dick Briefer pre-code horror comics that were being sold back then. His monster was way more horrendous than anything conceived of by Jack Pierce. And I said, well, you know, I, <laughs> it was kind of unsettling. But then I kept asking people, friends of mine, relatives, you know, people that were older than me, if they'd ever seen the Frankenstein movie. And they said, oh, yeah, and we saw The Bride of Frankenstein. And then he started telling me about having a kind of a squarish head and a high forehead. And I was starting to piece all this together in my mind, trying to figure out how... I was sort of superimposing that on the Dick Briefer comic book image. 
And one day, I was walking home from school. This would have been about 1955. I was walking down the street, and there was a, a school store right next to, not the school I went to, but the other school. And um, in this place where they sold a, a lot of, um, oh, you know, notebooks, and it was a confectionery store. They sold candy and things, but a lot of school supplies. It was near Halloween, and in the window, hanging on a, a hook, was this mask. And uh, I looked at it. It had the high forehead. And somebody said Frankenstein had a nail through his head. And, well, and I looked, and it had these like silver things on the neck and, uh, and along the, the, the top of the hairline. And I just went in there and I said, I didn't say to the owner, I didn't say, hey, is that a Frankenstein mask? I said, I would like to buy a Frankenstein mask. And she went and that was the mask she got me. It was the old half Don Post mask, not the full head, but the half one that you've seen a million times in the old monster magazines. And that's how, that's when I actually found out what the monster looked like through that mask. And it just, my interest over the years just kept growing and growing and growing. And one day I was reading a, a pre-code horror comic mm-hmm. that Atlas, which was, became Marvel, had put out. And there was a story in there called The Lonely Dungeon. And in that story, there's a guy, the protagonist, it was like the world's leading authority on Frankenstein. And as a kid, I said, what a great thing to be, to be the world's leading authority on Frankenstein. And that's when I think everything hit the fan, and I just started, you know, and then I saw my first movies in the theater, the real art reissues, and um, it just kept going on from there, and it continues to this day. <laughs> now, the movie is, inspi- it's an anthology, like you said, it's like or a portmanteau film, I think is what the Amazon films call themselves. It's inspired partly by the novels or all from the novels? What, what's the connection? Well, I had a series of um, 11 New Adventures of Frankenstein, uh, 10 of which were novels, and one was a collection of short stories. Now it's up to 12 because I wrote a, a concluding novel just a few years ago oh, yeah. after, you know, like four, 40 years or whatever it was, which was like just getting like getting back on a motorcycle. or something. You don't forget certain things. So anyway, I, one of them was called... Um, Tales of Frankenstein, and that was just a collection of short stories that somehow vaguely tied in with the novels in one way or another, and had some continuity among each other, but not not a whole lot. But I had these all these different stories. I had about twenty five stories in there, and they were all taking place in different time periods in different countries and things. Uh, somebody, a producer, contacted me. He was making a uh, a low budget anthology movie, and he wanted me to write. Something. Well, I wasn't getting paid for it, but I thought if I had something on hand that I could just let him use, and if some money came in, that would be great, and it would also give me another film credit on my resume. So that was a plan, and I adapted four, I actually adapted five of those stories uh, to script form. And um, we had a, some creative differences, and I realized that no, that wasn't the way to go. I want to make this movie myself. And that's how it, it all came to be. So the original stories, there were five of them, and now there's only four. The reason for that is um, my original idea was each story would be about 15 minutes long. So five of them, you know, you do the math, it would be a nice feature-length movie. But then as we started editing, as, as Tony Malinowski, my editor, started cutting them together, he said, you know, these aren't coming in at 15 minutes. They're only like 25 minutes. I mean, each one of these is like a half-hour TV episode. So we, I figured, well, gee, if we did five, the movie would be 
way over two hours, and it's way too long for a movie like this. And so if we only do four, first of all, that'll make a, a, a more reasonable running time. It'll also save me a lot of money because I won't have to finance that fifth episode. And I'll have already one episode on the back burner if we do a, a follow-up movie. So that's how that all came about. And, I, and I, of course, I was thinking of the Ambicus films, uh, Tales from the Crypt and The House of Drip Blood and Asylum and all those. You know, everybody said, no, don't make an anthology. They're, they don't sell anymore. Nobody wants to see anthologies anymore. But I, in my writing career, I, it usually turned out that things I really believed in that I liked, even though everybody else told me they were crazy or they didn't think they were going to work, including books that I'd written, uh, those are the ones that were always more successful. So I said, I'm just going to do this my way. So Tales of Frankenstein, the movie, has four stories in it, each one set in a different country in a different time period. And then there's a frame story that connects them all together. You know, like you would have the Crypt Keeper or something. Well, in this case, it's the Frankenstein monster. It opens with him searching through some ruins, and he finds uh, a portrait of Victor Frankenstein, and he gets all bent out of shape and everything. So that portrait figures into every single one of the stories. Every one of the stories that, that it has a plot point. You know, somebody will find it and they'll hang it on the wall, or somebody will be taking it off their wall, or, you know. So that's basically, that's the format of the movie. And it starts out in 1887, Bavaria. 1887 being the year Boris Karloff was born. So all the dates correspond to some important year in Frankensteinian history. Oh. And the second second one is uh, Switzerland, 1910. You know, that's when the Edison film was made. The next one is 1948, Los Angeles. And that was when uh, Abacus Ellamy Frankenstein was released. And the last one is 1957, Transylvania. And that's when Curse of Frankenstein was made and I was a teenage Frankenstein, and you know, so each one of these dates has some significance historically. Whether or not anybody, except real hardcore monster kids, ever pick up on them, but it's just a little bit of extra uh, frosting on the cake. I guess I guess they call those Easter eggs now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I I'm fascinated by that, and that's amazing. And uh, man, the more you talk, the more excited I am about seeing the movie. And I'm seeing a number of other things. Uh, I'm, again, I'm looking at the cast list and the character list on the IMDb on the Internet Movie Database. Obviously, there's a lot of Frankenstein's in the cast, but I'm seeing other names that just really kind of scratch that monster kid itch. There's a character named Karnstein. It looks like there's a character named Vite. So uh, there's a lot of little things here and there that I am really excited about seeing on the screen. And then you've got legends here. I mean, you've got Ann Robinson. You've got Beverly Washburn, who's amazing in the cast list as well. Yeah, Jerry Lacey. Jerry Lacey from Dark Shadows. I mean, how amazing is that? And I, mm, this is fantastic, Don. Thank you. I, I can't believe it. There's approximately 57 actors in this movie, not counting extras. And one of the reasons, because every one of the four stories has its own cast of characters, uh, and some of those casts are fairly large. You know, I see too many movies that are low-budget, independent, some of them costing more than mine, where they have four or five actors, you know, and everything's shot in the backyard, you know, on video. And uh, I didn't want to go that route. And, and when I did my casting, I didn't want to use any actors who were known for doing bad B-movies, okay? I didn't want to use any of the old Scream Queens. I didn't want to use... Uh, there are a couple of name actors now who do all these lousy movies, 
and that can hurt your sales. So I was very, very careful about who I put in the film, and we had very strict auditions. It wasn't just putting your friends in, you know, or whatever, some girl because she'll take her top off or something, and so you give her the starring role, or putting the, the investor's girlfriend in, because even though she can't act. Well, there were no investors in this. I financed it, so I didn't have to worry about that. But I was very, very careful. I didn't want this movie to look like a cheesy B movie. I wanted this movie to have some class. When you see it, I, I think when people see it, just to toot my own horn a little bit, they're going to be very, very, very surprised. This is very old school. It's very traditional. I mean, it's got mad scientists, brain transplants, villagers with torches. It's even got a gorilla. <laughs> well, you got to have a gorilla. The gorilla was the most expensive actor I had. I had it for one day. The, the most expensive prop was uh, a 1939 Plymouth. Oh, wow. We had a, a sequence, the one in 1948, there's a private detective who gets, you know, the old story gets stranded during an approaching storm outside a, uh, an old dark house. A car breaks down. Story-wise, it would have worked if you just opened it with him walking up to this house with a gas can. You know, he was trying to find gas. But I said, no, you know, there's John Milius once told me that, the, you know, he, said, he tells his actors when they're complaining, he says, the pain is only temporary, but the movie lasts forever. And he's absolutely right. There are things, you know, I, in some of my old films uh, or, you know, where I could have spent for $100, I could have gotten something really great, but I didn't want to spend the extra $100. So every time you see the movie, that jumps out at you. I mean, the audience doesn't know what could have been there, but you do. I didn't I said, no, I'm going to go the extra money and I'm going to rent that car. And so we have the car, we have the gorilla, some very impressive um, locations, as you'll see. And uh, sometimes you, you've got to, you've got to tighten your own belt a little bit and get something that's going to be of quality. And, uh, you know, a lot of low budget independent filmmakers just don't do that. They just try to do everything as cheaply as they can and get the, the worst actors and the, you know, all these, People that when their name appears on a movie, it's actually a detriment to selling your movie, and they don't seem to understand that. So, yeah, I'm very proud of my cast. Mel Novak, who plays <laughs> Mel Novak, it was funny because we had this painting done, the, the Victor Frankenstein portrait. Mm -hmm. It was done by Pete Von Schale, who's a fairly well-known comic book artist. Oh wow! And, uh, That's I didn't know he was involved. That's fantastic. Yeah, and his son plays a grave digger in it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, Pete did this painting. The way the script is written, the, the painting doesn't look like anybody in the movie as I envisioned it. And there's a, a, a scene where Dr. Mortality, who's the character that Mel plays, is standing up in the uh, in front of this painting, and he's trying to impress this private detective. There's Victor Frankenstein. I'm told I bear a very striking resemblance to him. And I, the joke was, because this is the only episode that has some comedy in it, the joke was he looked nothing like the painting. But the thing is, when we started editing the film, I looked at, at Tony and I looked at each other and I said, he looks just like the painting. It looks like he was the model for the painting. So, so that's how we, that was a kind of a twist on the original idea. Yeah, Mel was great. He was, uh, <laughs> he really has an unusual look. He's really known for martial arts movies. So this was a real different kind of a character for him. And uh, he loved it. He just told me it was one of his favorite roles, if not his favorite. So. Oh, wow. So uh, that was Mel Novak. You know, there's somebody else in the cast that I don't think I would have ever associated with a monster movie, and that would be the late, great Len Wein. Oh, 
yeah, that is really unfortunate. Uh, you know, he passed away before getting to see the movie, you know, and um, uh, we dedicated the movie to him, of course. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. I was, at a, I was at a party at his house, and, and Len, it turned out, you know, I was always discovering new talents he had that I didn't know he had. He was an improv comedian, which I didn't know. He was uh, a gourmet chef, which I didn't know. Well, anyway, I, were, I was um, at a party house, and I was talking about this movie, and Len happened to walk by in here, and he said, hey, why don't you put me in your movie? And I was, you know, didn't know why. I said, well, I'm a writer. You know, we already have a writer. No, no, I'm an actor, too. So um, we, we put him in the movie. Now, the thing is, Len's health, unknown to most of his, his fans, because he really hid it, was his health was lousy since he was a kid, since before a teenager. In fact, the doctor told uh, his parents that they didn't, to be honest, I don't think your son's going to live to be a teenager. And, uh, and of course, he just kept you know, going through all this pain and agony and treatments and dialysis and all this, and he just kept keeping it hidden, basically. And he didn't, unless you asked him, he, he never talked about it. But anyway, he came on the set, and he came in early, and because of a makeup situation, he had to come in early, And but we weren't going to get to his regular scenes until late, late at night. And he spent most of the time just lying on a bed in pain. And I said, Len, Len, why don't you go home? I'll, I'll get another actor. I'll, I can find another actor to replace you. you know? He said, no, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. And, I, and I, you and I have known each other since the early 1970s. You're, my good, you're a good friend, and I don't want to let you down. He was just really, really suffering uh, during his performance, even. But, uh, yeah, so we, we dedicated the movie to Len. Len was great. For listeners who don't know, I mean, I, I talked about how wonderful he is, and you mentioned he's a writer. He co-created Wolverine. He, he was uh, a very important part of what Marvel's all about these days. And, you know, as a comic book creator, to get a chance to play a, another creator, a, a Frankenstein, I, I can't wait to see what he does. And it sounds like he really gave it his all. Yeah, Len plays uh, an interesting character because he's not a scientist. He, oh, okay. If you read Mary Shelley's novel, before Victor switches over to science, he's into the, all the old alchemists. And uh, so the Len's character, who is a descendant named Helmut Frankenstein, he, um, he says, you know, when Victor was into the alchemists, studying Agrippa and Paracelsus and Dippel and all these people, that he accidentally, before he became a scientist, stumbled onto the secret of immortality. So he was right. So Helmut continues the pursuit of alchemy and puts science behind him. And he discovers this uh, secret of eternal life. So yeah, I wanted to explore that aspect of Victor that you never hear anybody really talk about. They just He gets to that point, and then his teacher at the university says, oh, this is all baloney, and he goes into science. So uh, so that, that made an interesting or original take on the Frankenstein theme, I thought. I'm a fan of film soundtracks and film scores, and I'm looking forward to the uh, William Stromberg score on this film because I, I am a fan of his work. Oh, this is excellent. Wait till you hear this soundtrack. It is... It, it is fantastic, and there's little, little homages to some of our favorite movies in it. 
<laughs> you'll you'll know what I mean when you hear it. But we're gonna do. He's gonna do. I was a, gonna ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna do. He's gonna do a CD, uh, an album. Yes. Excellent. I'll I'll put it right next to my CD soundtrack of the Lost Skeleton Returns again. So that'll be great. And I have one of my I have one of my songs uh, over the end credits. I well, there's two songs over the end credits. The first is Die Monster Die by um, Jerry Moore, who was Carlos Orloff, the, the, the horror Oh, host. wow. And, uh, and it's followed by Transylvania Twang, which is one of the songs that David Price and I recorded. For the, I was a teenage movie maker CD where we needed 1950s-type music uh, to go over the, mm-hmm. the teenage monster movies. So, so we have one of my songs and, and one of Jerry's. And I've got that CD too, so <laughs> that'll be great to hear some of your some of your music because I was looking at some interviews with you uh, leading up to this because I wanted to make sure you know I had your last name pronounced correctly and all that. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned in some interviews that you actually were in a band at one point as well. So to bring the music to it, I was in a lot of bands. Um, starting yeah. my first performance was at the Christmas show when grammar school in 1957. So and that's how far it goes back. But um, because, you know, for years, you know, I, I never set out to be a writer. Or any, for years, I wanted to be a rock star. That was my big dream. And um, I'm always lucking into things. Uh, I lucked into this gig with a band called the Penny Arcade that was produced by Mike Nesmith back in the late 1960s. Mike Nesmith of the Monkees. And so um, there's, I have a, we have a CD, an LP. It's, you can get it on Amazon. Just look up Penny Arcade. Arcade spelled with a K. It was a real 1960s L.A. band. I played bass guitar and some keyboards. And um, we're finally getting some recognition after almost half a century. Better late than never, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> certain things you never get out of your system. And music, especially mm-hmm. playing rock and roll, is uh, is one of those things. I think as a creative, y- you just find those outlets. Something is happening inside and you've got to put it out, whether it's a song or a book or a comic or a film or a podcast or, or, or whatever. There's always that drive to keep creating. What, what keeps you going? I'm assuming you've got other things in the works or, oh, or yeah, what yeah. to do down the line. But what keeps you moving toward doing more work? Well, coffee for one thing, but the, <laughs> there's really two things. One is the thing that's driven me ever since I was a teenager, or maybe even before that, I just never, I didn't want to work in a regular normal job where I was doing the same thing five days a week from nine to five, doing something I didn't particularly like, maybe working for somebody I didn't particularly respect. I didn't want to do that until I retired. To me, to me, retiring is what you do when you're on the freeway and you get a flat and you call the and they come out and they fix your flat and they retire for you. That's retiring. The other thing is, <laughs> I went about five or six years ago, I was in Chicago, went to a high school class reunion. 30% of us were already dead from our class. And people were coming in on walkers and wheelchairs, and nobody had anything interesting to say. You know, nobody hardly wanted to talk to me because they couldn't relate to anything I did or had done or was interested in. It was just people talking about their grandkids, and maybe they were talking about the Cubs baseball team because it was Chicago. That was it. And I was sitting there by myself a lot of the time. And I said, I don't want to end up like this. I just love working. I love the process of having something in your mind complete, whether it's a song or a book or a a movie or whatever, and then having it all come together step by step. And when you walk away from it, when it's done, 
it, it bears some resemblance to what you originally had in mind. I mean, I want to die on the set. I want to die between the words action and cut somewhere. That's how I'm going to go. And um, uh, I heard Todd Slaughter, the actor, went the same way. I'm doing a performance of Mariah Martin or something on stage. And so that's how I want to go uh, working. I just love to work. Do you have anything in your sights right now in terms of future novels, books, or is it all about Tales of Frankenstein right now? Well, right now, um, gosh, there's a bunch of things. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where do I start? Well, I I got back into comic books a few years ago. You remember Rich Buckler, who just passed away about the last year? Well, Rich talked me into coming back into comics for a magazine called The Creeps, which is kind of a homage or whatever you want to call it to the Warren magazines. And I've written over 50 stories for them, but they got them stockpiled. I mean, they're going to, I'm going to be moldering in my grave and they're going to still be finding more stories on inventory, I think. And I just got an idea for a story and I crank it out real fast. The best horror stories I've ever written, I think, comic book wise. So I'm doing that. I got a lot on the plate with Tales of Frankenstein because not only is the movie to deal with, the release of it and everything, but I, I'm, I'm merchandising it. I have a calendar now that will be out. In fact, I was at the printer today, and um, there's a 2019 calendar, a deluxe calendar with photos, about 60 photos from the movie and everything, and that will be coming out. Uh, Bill Cunningham's Pulp 2.0 Press is doing a, um, in fact, it's out. You can get it now. It's on Amazon. It's called Tales of Frankenstein, the Movie of the Book, and it's uh, a factual thing about the movie with lots of photos, the screenplay and everything. Oh, wow, okay. Then... There is also, Bill is also publishing um, The Tales of Frankenstein graphic novel, introduction by Jaunty Jim Steranko, and I've got some really fine artists doing this, and so that's coming out, and there's going to be a series of trading cards, probably no no gum to go with them, but trading cards, (laughs) 50-card set. Uh, Bill Cunningham is thinking of doing a series, an eight-card set of lobby cards, old-fashioned lobby cards. And then I have a, a store called Pecosporn Products. Pecosporn is the name of my company, okay. Pecosporn Productions. And um, they're merchandising everything. I've got T-shirts, coffee mugs, dog tags, just about clocks, about anything you can think of that has images from that movie and the werewolf movie I did before this. And so there's all that to deal with. And... Um, uh, yeah, I'm always busy. I, I, I'm busier now than I ever was when I was younger. And most of my c- people who are my contemporaries are out of work now because of their age, because of age bias. And um, I'm my own boss. I'm the producer of my company. I'm the executive producer. So it's not like somebody, some exec, some 20-year-old in a suit in an office is going to say, well, you're too old to write this stuff anymore or direct this stuff. I'm the boss. So, um, so that doesn't even enter into it. So... Like I said, I can be I can be working until I assume room temperature. You know. <laughs> well, that's living the dream right there. I think that's the the uh, the ideal situation for a creative monster kid to just keep doing all that until you can't do it any longer. Uh, you know, a lot of people get ideas for things, but they don't pursue them. And uh, you know, ideas for stories or novels or movies, but they take the easy way out. You know, they'll take the job in their father's grocery store or something, but. To me, I didn't want to go that way, and um, there's nothing better than to be paid for something you really love to do, and uh, it's like not a job then anymore. It's just uh, 
it's the difference in having a job that where you you can't wait until the weekend comes up so you can go home and watch TV or whatever you do, or a job where you can't wait till it starts. And then the the sad part is uh, when it's over and you got to find something else to do. But I always have something else to do. It always comes up. Well, I'm really excited for Tales of Frankenstein. Uh, again, it's making its premiere later this year. I love that there are still filmmakers out there like you uh, and a handful of others that are still making movies that have the physical effects, the heart in the right place, or, or in this case, maybe the brain in the right place. I'm just really excited for what's going to happen here. This movie may not make me a, a penny, mm-hmm. but that's not the reason I made it. I got... I got Years ago, after my mother passed away, and I sold a house in Chicago, and, and I sold my comic book collection, I, I I figured out ways of getting myself financially secure so I wouldn't have to worry about work the rest of my life. And I could afford to lose money. I'm having a great time. I'm just having a ball making movies like this. And I think this is going to be my niche from now on. I'm going to make monster movies, uh, not just horror pictures, but movies with a monster in mm-hmm. it. So I have, right now, I was going to follow this up with, um, I have a, uh, a vampire movie. Uh, it's basically Carmilla in modern day. It's basically Carmilla meets Death Wish. It's an <laughs> urban wow. kind of thing, you know, with a vigilante vampire trying to atone for her years of horror by blowing away street, street scum that the police can't touch us. I mean, that's basically it, you know, and then the cop investigating this, you know, I don't want to tell you too much. No, no, please that don't. I want to see that movie. <laughs> That was going to be the next one. And then I'm getting such good response to Tales of Frankenstein. And I already had one script already written, the one that we didn't use in the first one. I said, I'm just going to go ahead and take three or four more stories and write Tales of Frankenstein book two. Oh, wow. So that's the master plan, if I survive long enough to do them. Uh, And I've got to make some money back on this one before I can make the next one. Tales of Frankenstein book two will be the next. I didn't want to call it the sequel or anything like that because it's, they're based on stories in a book mm-hmm. then after that I'll do the vampire movie after that sky's the limit maybe do another Frankenstein movie I don't know well I'll make sure there's a link in our show notes over at monsterkidradio.net to your website donaldfglute.com as well as the Pecos Born Productions website so people can see what you've got cooking and see what's happening with the film and I wish you the best I really can't wait to see this this film I'm really excited about it well, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people who are used to seeing, first of all, used to seeing my old movies, and also who are used to seeing, you know, limited budgeted um, B movies, independent movies. It really looks expensive. I got to say, it really looks like looks expensive. And I, I won't. I'm not telling how much it costs to make, but uh, I am telling how long it took to make, how long it took to shoot, and that was uh, 15 days spread over about three years, but. Wow, but we had a. If you had all the days up together and put them together, it was a 15-day shoot. And I have not had 15 days to shoot since I did my first movie, which was Dinosaur Valley Girls back in 1994. All the other movies had like four days, five days, seven, maybe six or seven if I was lucky. And um, it was the first movie I made where we ended up with no retakes to do, no pickup shots we that we were owed. Uh, some of the days we actually ended early, and it was a very pleasant experience. It was a wonderful experience. Well, I hope that translates to the screen, and I know I'm going to be picking up a copy of this movie, and if it plays anywhere up here in the Portland, Oregon area, 
I would be more than happy to go see it in the, on the big screen. So I, I, I really hope it, it does well for you. Oh, thank you. Can I tell you one more thing about uh, of course. one of the episodes? Please do. Please do. You will be able to, you, you will be able to relate to this. Okay. Um, we, uh, one of the segments is set in 1948 uh, Los Angeles, and it's the only one with any real humor in it. And uh, But it's a takeoff on the old hard-boiled detectives, you know, Philip Marlowe, Sam Spade, and also old Dark House Mysteries. Okay. And so there's voiceover. You know, uh, it was raining, uh, you know, the lightning was crashing like, like, you know, like electric eels at an electrician's convention, you know, that kind of stuff. That's the one with the gorilla and, and Mel Novak. Because it was filled with cliches, including, I, I had a record album that had all these old sound effects, uh, the famous dog, if you heard the dog howling, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, I gave it to my sound guy, and I said, I want these effects. I want this lightning crash. He said, if it was anybody else I was working for, they would fire me if I used any of these. I said, and, and I said, don't make it louder. We got to People have to re- say, hey, I remember that. That was, you know. But anyway, I wanted to use the Bride of Frankenstein lightning crash, mm. the one that was used over and over again over the years in television shows, sometimes two or three times in the same movie, flopped upside down. I said, we gotta, I got to get that. And it took me weeks to track that down, and I finally tracked it down. And we use it several times, upside down, <laughs> flopped and everything. So I got the Bride of Frankenstein lightning and, um, and a lot of old... Uh, cliche sound effects so uh, so i was really happy about that sounds amazing oh wow uh, <laughs> and i've got to wait a, over a month for it to come out on home media so man you're killing me here don well i just i just hope everybody enjoys the movie uh i just hope everybody appreciates what we're trying to do we're trying to bring back some of that old fun you had when you're watching shock theater and going to the, the matinees you know and the triple horror bills and mm-hmm. things when monsters were, were were fun and cool, and they weren't just C, CGI effects, and there's you know there's gore in this movie, but it's not the kind of gore that repulses you. It's you know like severed arms and things. It's the kind of where a little kitten go ooh ew, you know kind of look through their fingers, you know, they're covering sure. their face. Uh, I think everybody will have a good time with this, and um, it'll bring back a lot of old memories. It's loaded with Easter eggs. There are all kinds of references to other movies, not only in the visuals, but in the soundtrack, in the dialogue, and the music. I think we'll have a good time with it. Fantastic. Don, thank you so much for being on Monster Kid Radio, and I'd love to have you back on down the line just to talk monster movies with you. Any of your upcoming projects, I'd love to have you back on, because this has been a blast for me. Okay, sure. It was an honor and a treat to speak with Don here on the show. You can find out about all things Donald Glute over at DonaldFGlute.com or head over to PecosBorn.com because this is where you're going to find what you need to know about Tales of Frankenstein. It's hitting VOD, DVD, and Blu-ray on October 19th. The theatrical world premiere is happening on October 24th. That will be open to the public details are forthcoming, and I assume that means you need to go to PecosBorn.com to keep up to date. Here you'll also be able to find a link to the calendars and the books and everything else that Don was talking about when it comes to all things Tales of Frankenstein. Don, thank you so much for being part of the show this week, and I wish you the absolute best with the upcoming film release. 
across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. The legend of the cat people. Women whose kiss means death, whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey. I've been followed by something that was not human, something that attempted to take my life. I believe that was the cat form of Irena. Why should she wish to harm you? Because I'm in love with her husband. It's shut, Bell. Just a minute ago, it was open. It's locked. Leave us, Irena. Maneuver completed, link up accomplished successfully, starting rocket motors to continue flight over and out. Next step, Mars, 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of a red planet, defying the elements, inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! Help me! Mission, Mission Mars. Mary, no! God, let's like, go! simply don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George, no! Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If you're happy place, is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen. Tonight is a special night at the Joy Cinema and Pub, is it not? That's why there are fewer of you here tonight than last week. (laughs) Tonight, it is special because it is Weird Wednesday. I promise we're not going to sing because I wouldn't do that. But it's Weird Wednesday regular James's birthday. Please give a big, hearty, really, really loud round of applause for James. James, there he is. Right there. Right there. 
right there. He will tell all kinds of inappropriate jokes in front of people of all ages. It doesn't matter. Excellent. Thank you, James. Later on, inappropriate jokes. My name is Jeff Punkrock Martin. It's a pleasure to welcome you to Weird Wednesday at the Joy Cinema and Pub. Please give yourselves a big round of applause for coming out. Come on. Tonight's movie, on this screen, on the big screen, we all have the, the privilege and the pleasure <laughs> of seeing Mr. Arch Hall Jr. and Mr. Richard Keel in Let's Hear It For Ega. Now, Richard Keel, you're going to remember him. He's a very tall man. And he played Jaws in not one, but two James Bond movies. Let's hear it for Richard Keel. And if you don't know Arch Hall Jr., you will soon. <laughs> you're laughing about him. Some people call him the Cabbage Patch Elvis. I call him pure dynamite. Let's hear it for Arch Hall Jr. Come on. It's hard to get you guys aroused this week. <laughs> Word is that Arch Hall Jr., after this movie came out, got kind of a big head. He got kind of egotistical. <laughs> I wasn't going to show this movie this week, but then I caved. <laughs> I got that from a young lady who came in. Let's give her a very big round of applause. Thank you so much. That's better than anything I've come up with this week. Anyway, anyway. We do have news. October 20th, monster-related news. October 20th at the Joy Cinema. You don't want to miss this. It's a week, it's two weeks from Saturday. Come here, come see on the big screen the classic, the silent classic, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Let's hear it for that already. And this is where it gets really exciting with live musical accompaniment right here at the Joy by Cinechromatic. Come on, come on. You don't want to miss it. And then. The really exciting news, the Joy Cinema Scarathon is coming up at the end of the month. Oh, that got a big round of applause, didn't it? Wow. I have to ask every time I want a round of applause. <laughs> I don't just say anything that's like warrants it. Anyway, are you guys excited for the Scarathon or not? I have a tentative lineup and it's not booked for sure yet, but do you want to hear the movies or not? Oh, come on, do you want to hear the titles or not? These could change, but here's what we got now. They could change. First, the ghost of Mr. Chicken. Okay. Next, Revenge of the Creature in 3D. I know. Okay. I'm preparing myself for the, the wind from your applause that's going to hit me in a second. Next up, Evil Dead 2. And then, the not very often shown, but wonderful, Freaks. And for our final show of the evening, the classic, hilarious comedy, Shaun of the Dead. Okay, okay, that's tentative, it could change. Anyway, there's a man here, a young man here, who knows a lot more about monsters and a lot more about Arch Hall Jr. than I ever will. And he is the host of Monster Kid Radio. He is, if you are a monster, nerd, or geek, he is your guy. He is, he is, he might as well have written the Bible for monster nerds. But anyway, and I mean nerds in a nice way. Anyway, he is here. He is geek brother number one, and he will talk to you about Ega. Here is Mr. Derek M. Cook. Give him a giant round of applause. I should write a Bible? Really? Okay. 
What's up, everybody? Uh, like you said, I'm Derek M. Cook, and I'm from the Monster Kid Radio Podcast. Uh, what I do every week is talk about a classic or sometimes not so classic genre movie on the internet. And we are releasing episode 389 later tonight, tomorrow morning. We've been going for about three and a half years, and I'm really excited that we're about to hit episode 400. Uh, this week's episode, we're actually going to be talking about the movie The Monster of Piedras Blancas. I don't know what's happening. It's Weird Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to keep going until the music kicks in again. Anyway, let's talk about the movie we're going to see tonight. How many of you have seen Ega? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So a lot of new time, new viewers here. Awesome. Okay. So. I communicate off and on, and I'm not joking here, I do communicate off and on a little bit with Arch Hall Jr. I met him a few years ago at a convention, and every once in a while we swap or exchange messages, and I wrote him today and I asked him if he had any advice that I could give to somebody who's never seen this movie before. Now, he did respond to me, but he didn't answer my question. Uh, instead, what he did is he told me that he's really excited because there's a Danish filmmaker by the name of Nicholas... Uh, Something rough and whatever, he's some art house guy. He's working to put Ega on Blu-ray. We live in magical times. When a movie like Ega, for those of you who have already seen it, you know, and for those who are about to see it, you'll find out. To actually get a full restoration from the original Cameron negative, that's something. <laughs> So he mentioned Arch Hall Jr. He's not the only Arch Hall that's in this movie. If you pay attention to the opening credits, well, you probably won't see the name Arch Hall as the director. In most prints of this film, the director is listed as somebody else. I forget the name off the top of my head, but it's an assumed name. It's a pseudonym. The director of the film is actually Arch Hall Sr., uh, which, you know, is, is Arch Hall Jr.'s father. And the reason he didn't want to use his name in the film is he didn't want the public to think that he was just kind of showing off his son and promoting his son. He wanted people to view the movie on its own merits and view his son's music on its own merits. Archal Jr. does have quite a few musical numbers in this thing. You can actually buy a CD with a lot of these songs uh, through his website and he'll even sign it for you if you want. What I find fascinating about the music in this isn't necessarily what you're going to hear in the film, but how the film was promoted. See, back in the day, movies didn't just get shipped to movie theaters, and that was that. These independent movies, they'd be driven from town to town to town, different drive-ins, that sort of thing, by the producer or the director. And in the case of Ega, Archal Jr., Sr., and Richard Keel all piled up into a car and would drive to different drive-ins to show the film. They would set up Archal Jr. on top of the snack bar with lights, his guitar, his microphone, his amp, and during the film, during every musical number, Archal Jr., would lip sync the songs. He would not perform them live, he would lip sync to the film. And I, okay. I wanna talk about a few other names here in the film. One name that you'll see is Marilyn Manning. She is the female lead who had almost zero acting experience before making this film. She appeared in a few other things uh, through the rest of her acting career. Her final film was a film about bra salesmen. The movie was called uh, Upfront or something along those lines. Um, Marilyn Manning was cast because Arch Hall Sr took a liking to her. She was the nurse slash assistant for a chiropractor who worked in the office building that Arch Hall Sr. owned and rented out. So that's how she ended up in the film. 
Another name is Bob Davis. Now, you're not, I don't think you're going to see the name in the credits, and there's a reason for that. He was fired after the first week of the film, uh, production. Bob Davis was really interested in being involved in, in Hollywood. He wanted to be a movie maker. He wanted to be involved in the movies. And he kind of sort of knew a little bit about sound. He was a radio guy. And he convinced Archall Sr. he knew what he was doing. After about a week of not hooking up any of the sound equipment correctly, he was canned. He was told to go. Now, he does appear in the movie as well as like an extra or something, but he was fired. And they came back and, with another guy and you know, finished the film. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because most of the scenes that were shot with Bob Davis's quote-unquote sound were all the dialogue scenes with Egon. Egon's a caveman and doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but he does have some. And because Bob Davis screwed up, we get one of the most charming things about this movie, and that's Arch Hall Sr. himself dubbing all the dialogue for Egon. And uh, yeah, so maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. Thank you, Bob Davis, maybe. Anyway, I love this movie, maybe inappropriately, but it is a lot of fun, and I hope you guys and gals dig it. I am going to talk a little bit about this screening on an upcoming episode of my podcast, which you can find at monsterkidradio.net. Please check me out. I'm also, excuse me, I'm also on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm on Facebook. I'm all over the place. You can't miss me. Just Google me or whatever. I am going to be set up in the back with my friends after the movie, probably recording a few minutes about the film itself. If you want to stop by and tell me what you think of the movie, I'd love to hear from you and just kind of chat it up because there's nothing better than talking about classic or not so classic monster movies. My name is Eric M. Cook. I'm going to go get some popcorn and uh, watch the movie with you guys. Thank you. From ancient Genesis to the modern screen, is the name written in blood, Ega. If I could just call you on the phone. The code of the ghost at the sign of the toe. Nobody lives on the Brownsville Road. Thrill to the newest recording star, Archwell Jr. Oh, the scream in this way. See ravishing Marilyn Manning in a thrilling, chilling story. of the prehistoric giant sees his first girl, Noah. Curious newsmen search deep in giant country for the last of the ancient cavemen. See a tough giant, tamed by the soft hands of his captive woman. See him sacrifice his ageless beard for her love. Then lose her to a boy in a dune buggy, escaping a burning desert. Ega's primitive passion was love or kill. The ancient language of love, used at the beginning of time.
another kind of recorded live Weird Wednesday thing. Jeff Polier, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. We were here seeing Ega once again. The name written in blood is according to the movie poster, which <laughs> is totally not what we just saw. No, not even remotely. <laughs> you were saying uh, earlier that this movie has a, a special place in your heart. Well, yes, because this is the first movie I saw coming to Weird Wednesday. And this is actually the third time I've seen it at Weird Wednesday now. Do you not have a copy to watch at home? I don't need to. Jeff keeps showing it. <laughs> I uh, I adore this film. I, I, don't, I don't have any um, delusions here. I, I know the movie's got problems. I know. But... It's so much fun. It gives me a big grin, and it's just, uh, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> what keeps bringing you back? It's cartoonishly funny. I mean, as far as story and acting goes, it's somewhere beneath Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? <laughs> but it is so much fun. It just, it appeals to the eight-year-old. <laughs> Were you the one, as the movie was ending and the lights were coming up you said something about beauty killing the beast was that you oh yeah yeah uh, such a king kong ending i was going to bring this up because actually when i was doing a little bit of research about this film um a lot of king kong comparisons were made and i i, I was debating whether or not i was going to get up and ask you guys which was the better beauty and the beast movie this or king kong but i couldn't imagine doing it with a straight face <laughs> um but it, it does have some of that let's see we've been talking with jeff and uh, dominique lamsies is here and what did you think of the film? You've seen it before. Oh, yeah. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's it, it's a movie. <laughs> That's my line. Okay. Yeah. I'm borrowing your line. Yeah. Why do you keep seeing it? Uh, because I'm a Mystery Science Theater junkie and I watch episodes over and over and over again. <laughs> that is, the, this is like, actually, I think this is the second time I've actually seen it clean because wow. it was like on a Blu-ray box set that I'm... I watch all the movies on them. That's the only other reason I've seen it cleaned. So, well, with it coming out on Blu-ray eventually, you know, you'll be able to watch it all by itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she looks so happy about it. Oh man, I looking forward to those isolated music tracks. <laughs> I've got the soundtrack. I bought the CD. He, he personalized it to me when he signed it. He knows who my name. I don't know. Arch Hall, I was telling Jeff, I, I always forget just how corny his dialogue is. It's just so over the top. And his hair is amazing. I wish I had that hair. Shatner wishes he had that hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, the price he could. <laughs> so I'm sitting here next to Dominique watching the film, and there's a lot of stuff that happens to the female lead. Do you have any thoughts or comments on any of that? Not that I'm actually going to make, because that's just going to open the floodgates and strings of obscenities and... Yeah, no. No. No comment. It is pretty rough. It's it's worse than what Kong does to Fei Rei, I believe. Yeah, if we're going to stick with the King Kong thing. And it's made doubly awkward by the fact that Dad's watching and spends a lot of time not really doing anything about it, just kind of watching. In fact, egging her on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I joked, bef exactly. I joked before the movie started this evening about, you know, perhaps we could see Son of Ega. 
And now I'm wondering, you know, maybe uh, Roxy's got a little caveman in the oven. No, no. Let's we stop that line of thinking right now. I don't want to think about. No, I'm nope. not comfortable with where this conversation is going. It needs to stop right now. So how about that dune buggy, huh? That's what. <laughs> First time ever on screen. Nobody's safe. No. That's not like any dune buggy I've ever seen outside of this movie. It's basically a car that had its body panel stripped away and maybe some extra suspension. But uh, it's certainly not when I went on, uh, went around with my grandpa when I was a kid. Hey, I did not know that Ray Dennis Steckler was in this. It looked, was it him? It looked so much like him. His name was in the credits. Oh, okay, okay. And I'm pretty sure that the gal he was making out with, that was that alcoholic dancer from... The, the Incredibly Strange Teacher, or uh, Creatures Teacher. movie. <laughs> incredibly Strange Teachers. There's a movie. <laughs> incredibly Strange Creatures that stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Uh, I thought it looked like Ray Dennis Steckler, or is he credited as Steckler or Cash Flag? It said Ray Steckler. Wow. Are you familiar with Ray Steckler? No, no. Oh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff. He made movies. He's a winner big time. We need to get, because you're a superhero fan, Mm -hmm. you need to see Rat Fink and Boo Boo. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Rat Fink and Boo Boo are superheroes and crime fighters, and they only have one weakness. Bullets. Well, you know, (laughs) so they're safe from getting hit over the head with a club. (laughs) God, I have not talked about a cash flag movie on Monster Kid Radio at all. It sounds like something we need to do. Yeah. So who's a better filmmaker, Steckler or Arch Hall Sr.? Actually, I would have to go with Arch Hall Sr. because I have seen one or two of the other movies that he's made. And, you know, he's trying. <laughs> I kind of feel like sometimes Ray Dennis Steckler doesn't really try. <laughs> yeah. Man, I don't know where to go from here. Um, are you going to keep coming back if he keeps playing Ego? Will you come back again? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I will, you know, unless unless there's somewhere else I need to be that evening. I'll be here. <laughs> I would be here if he shows the sadist again. See, okay. Which is another Arch Hall Sr., Ultra Jr., and uh, Marilyn Manning movie. Uh, Marilyn Manning only has three credits in IMDb, and two of them are with Arch Hall Jr. What's the third one? A comedy called What's Up Front. Okay, I, I didn't remember the name of the title when I was talking about it up there. It's yeah. about a bra salesman. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she, um, she did her best, man. She did her best. I like this movie. I also think it might have been the first or one of the first movies I saw for Weird Wednesday here. I, I don't remember for sure off the top of my head, but it's something I associate with Weird Wednesday, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Well, you were saying we associate... Weird Wednesday with Ega, and it helps that the poster for Ega has been in this theater as long as I've been coming to Weird Wednesday. I, I took a picture when I came in. I think I take a picture every time they show Ega. I love it. I love it. So, okay, that's a good question. So, uh, or good point. Ega's on the wall. We've got Roller Boogie, The Projected Man, and Island of Terror, Bigfoot, and Ape, which breeds with anything, according to the poster. Of these movies, have you seen any of the others? I don't think I have. You? I've seen The Projected Man and Island of Terror. Of course I've seen Island of Terror. Sure. Oh, yes. Okay, I have seen Island of Terror. Yes, where where if you stand really still, the tree can get you. 
Uh, no, Island of Terror is something different. Island of Terror are these like turtle monsters with the necks, oh, okay. and you cut them and they melt and they spawn. Right, not what and I was thinking of there. They look like giant raviolis. Yeah. With tentacles that wrap around you and then suck your bones dry. Yeah, I think it's marrow, bone marrow. It's actually really cool. Um, and it's um, Peter Cushing in it. So. Yeah. I've seen Roller Boogie, and only because it was showing on TCM one day, and I remember, I'm serious, and I saw it on the listing, and because Jeff had the poster up in the lobby, I thought, Roller Boogie, I should watch that. How wrong were you? Well, do you like Linda Blair? She's okay. You like roller skates? They're okay. Mm -hmm. Uh Beverly Garland is a movie. Okay. So that's that's something. You got a little bit of monster movie. No. 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 Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know. We should wrap this up because, again, we are going longer than your normal Weird Wednesday calls. Jeff, thanks for always doing the Weird Wednesday report, man. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad to do it. I do want to tie into something else you're doing, your Paul Nashie project, because I can't help but notice Dominique's bag is covered with Paul Nashie movie posters. It is so cool. Did you make it? No. Okay, I know I you make all it. kinds of neat stuff. Yeah. No. Okay, that is so cool. It is. <laughs> I have not officially launched that yet uh, with the Lovecraft Film Festival this weekend, which by the time listeners hear this will be last weekend. Uh, I've just been really busy trying to get everything going with the Plan 9 by 9 podcast and everything else. But it is going to start. I'm probably going to watch my first Paul Nashi next week. Excellent. And we'll see what happens. Fingers. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Dominique, I'm sure by the time people hear this, you and I have spent a lot of time with each other at the Lovecraft <laughs> Film Festival and hopefully are not ready to kill each other, which, you know, I know I can, you know, I'm a bit much. You're wonderful, but, you know, I'm just saying. We did it last year. I think we can do it this year. Okay. All right. And we'll have Chris in the middle, too. So. <laughs> um, I was going to make some sort of sandwich joke, but that's about as far as I can go. Uh, thank you, everybody. This has been the Weird Wednesday Report with Jeff Pollier and Dominique Lamses. Tom Doffel got out of here before I could start recording with him. <laughs> Was he there the whole time? No, no, he disappeared about Come on the most fantastic and terrifying journey of your life 4,000 miles into the center of the Earth to a world within our world at the Earth's core. Now, American International Pictures hurls you at supersonic speeds with Doug McClure and Peter Cushing to a world peopled by creatures beyond your wildest nightmares. The Mosops, whose fiery breath withers trees and plants. The vicious Mayhars, bird women who feed on human flesh. The giant Boz, lizard-like behemoths with poison fangs. The cruel Sagoths, animal-faced soldiers of Pellucidar, ruled by the Princess Dia, whose seductive beauty can drive men mad. Come on the most incredible voyage ever dared by man. Edgar Rice Burroughs at the Earth's Core. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. For miles around, 
cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa, having lost family or friends. Something absolutely unknown. We could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The black scorpion destroys communications. Hundreds annihilated. achieved before by any science fiction picture. Thousands in the cast. I'm Janet Decay. And I'm Grim Gory. And together we host... The, the Mummy and, and the, the Monkey, Monkey Show. Show. And you're listening to... Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio! Radio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know how I'm always saying that if there's something happening in your area that you think Monster Kids might enjoy that you can always call in or send me a recording or something like that? Well, that's what Tom did. Howdy, Derek, and all the Monster Kids out there. This is Tom Greganus reporting in from Durham, North Carolina. I want to let you know about a couple of movies we got to see last night at the Carolina Theater. They were showing Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein back to back. Yes, that's right. Got to see them in sequence, one behind the other. It was fantastic. A little bit about the night. Uh, it's a nice, wonderful Friday night in Durham. Uh, my middle kid decided she would like to go with me to see these. She had never seen either one of the pictures before, although I have three DVD copies of Frankenstein and, and a VHS copy and copies on DVD of Bride. She hadn't ever watched them. She's just now starting to get into the older um, pictures. So it was really happy that she was able to go with me. We had a lot of fun. It was uh, Kind of a micro monster bash. They had a couple vendors there at the venue and some nice introduction by the organizers at the beginning. But let's get down to the movies themselves. First off, they showed Frankenstein. The really cool thing is they had set up so that the screen comes up and says it's uh, November 21st, 1931. The You're at the premiere opening of Frankenstein. So it kind of sets you in the mood of the time period. They showed a couple of trailers of movies that would have been out at the time, um, one of which was Murders in the Rue Morgue uh, and a couple of others. So it was really kind of getting in the in the feel of the time period, and then they started the movie. I had never seen this movie on the big screen before, and I was blown away by it. It's really very beautiful movie. First off, let's talk about the acting. This is, of course, Colin Clive's movie. He is the epitome 
of the mad scientist and i had forgotten having not watched frankenstein in a while what a good job he does of bringing that across uh he's really manic in this movie gives a a a feel of uh his madness and his obsession It's, it's truly powerful performance uh the other actors do a good job. Karloff is good in this. He's just not given enough, or it's early enough in his career that you know he's not given a lot to do in this movie. Um, but he does come across, he's imposing and uh, frightening. And you get a little bit of the sense of what he could be and what we'll see in the next movie, of course. But the thing that impressed me the most was the, the sets and the set design. And it really comes across how massive and magnificent these things are on the big screen it's, it was truly fantastic the the laboratory equipment the sound just the the hugeness of the sets and the work that went into the laboratory set in particular um, was was phenomenal so that was uh frankenstein and so we had a short intermission and then we dove right into the uh, bride of frankenstein and again they set the stage of having you in the time period, uh, the premiere date with a couple of trailers of other movies, one of which was Karloff's Mummy, which was great to see. And then, you know, got into the movie, picking up immediately where the previous movie left off, which is fantastic. Uh, And so it really made it feel like you were watching just one longer production. All right, so let's talk about the acting in in this. Um, this is really Ernest Thiger's movie. Clive is is very prominent in it, and he's like got a large role in it. But this is all Doctor Pretorius, and he just takes the whole show. It's so much fun watching him in this role and relishing the the dialogue that he has and his use of his face and his expressions and the tones. And way he says his lines really lends a lot to the character and builds this character and enhances the movie so much. It was such a joy and so much fun watching him play this character. The scene in the crypt with him, Pretorius, and the monster is absolutely fantastic and is a true joy to watch these two actors um, working with each other and the, the, the dialogue that they have in the setting that they're in is, is just fantastic. And that leads us to Karloff. They gave Karloff an um, expanded role in this as the monster, and he really does a fantastic job, as, as you probably know. There were times when he was evoking sympathy from the audience when he was being frightening. He had a huge range in this movie versus the previous one. You can really start to see how he is the actor that we've come to know start to come out in this role. I mean, with with hardly any dialogue at all, mostly grunting throughout the whole thing, except for near the end. Uh, He just really, really does a fantastic job. The next thing I'd want to talk about is, the again, the sets. Uh, The sets are even better in this show, the soundstage set for the forest and the hermit's hut and that waterfall scene where the girl falls in are amazing. The Frankenstein house, the entryway with the arches and the, the staircase and all was was wonderful. I really, really 
like seeing those extensive sets. The last thing I'd like to say about this is the addition of a soundtrack. I was not really that aware that the previous one didn't have a lot of soundtrack, but once the bride started playing, it was quite noticeable. And while I thought the lack of soundtrack in Dracula actually enhanced the movie, not having it in Frankenstein and then watching Bride and having it, I see that the the lack of soundtrack in, in the former movie may have taken away a little bit. I think they used the, the music in the background to uh, really enhance some of the scenes. So I was very appreciative of that. Last thing I'll say is, is praises to the Carolina Theater. They did a fantastic job with this show. Again, like I said, they had some vendors out front. Everybody was, the organizers were super friendly. They had a, a prize drawing um, at the beginning of the shows. And it was just really, really, really fun. Everybody there was there to have a blast. And they did. And it was really friendly. The other cool thing is that Carolina Theater is really into um, our kind of movies. They've uh, shown a ton of them in the past, which I have been stupid and not ever taken advantage of. I mean, I missed Creature last year. I, I'm beating myself up every day about that. Um, but the good thing is, is they'll be showing more. In fact, um, not this coming Monday, but on October the 15th, they're showing Scars of Dracula and Horror of Frankenstein. So I hope to be there and I will report back after those because um, this is a really good month for for monster kids here in North Carolina. Not only do we have the Carolina Theater here in Durham, but Alice Cooper is visiting on uh, Monday the 8th, and I will be there. Uh, and I'm extremely excited to see Alice for the first time. So uh, this is Tom Greganis uh, from GoForthInGame.com, and keep them scary. So that was October 15th, Scars of Dracula and the Horror of Frankenstein. So cool. Tom, thank you for setting that in, man. Really cool. And listeners, if you've got any events coming up or that you've been to that you want to share with the Monster Kid Radio listeners, just, well, you know what to do. So this is the feedback section. We, we started with Tom's report. Mm-hmm. And now we got Brenda. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> what was that? What just happened here? Well, also that activated Wednesday. Yeah, she she piped in. She also said, "I don't know if the listeners will hear that, but they heard you." <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? Hey, sweetheart. Yeah. Hey. I really hope that picked up. Anyway, so it is uh, episode three ninety. Last mm-hmm. weekend was the Lovecraft Film Festival in Cthulhu Con. How did you do? I did fine. Is that what you're talking about on this episode? No. That's oh. coming up. <laughs> okay. I have well. a recording that I did with some people, and I recorded the panel, the one panel that I was on. Mm. And I also recorded a reading with Dominic Lamsey's, and I haven't listened to any of the audio yet. Okay. But how did you handle my being away? Fine. I had a tough RA weekend. Yeah. It really flared up on Saturday, so I spent a lot of time being a lump of misery. <laughs> You can be honest. This is a safe place. The listeners love you. You were miserable because I wasn't here. (laughs) Right? Sure. It caused me aches and throughout my body and shooting pains in my joints. You were a Cthulhu widow. I was. A weird widow. That 
A weird widow. A weird tales, weird fiction, Lovecraft. I'm trying to find alliteration I'd rather just be a Cthulhu widow because it means that I chose my life (laughs) over going with you. (laughs) Just kidding. Fine. (laughs) You can go be a Cthulhu snack. (laughs) You a snack. (laughs) I'm just going to stay here. I'm really uncomfortable with where this is going. Well, if I'm a Cthulhu widow, doesn't that mean you went off with Cthulhu? Well, not necessarily. So are you saying you married Cthulhu? No. Okay. I don't know. Widow implies death, which means you've been eaten by Cthulhu. Well, that clearly didn't happen. I know. Read an email. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brother D. Brother D. That is a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. That's true, huh? (laughs) I'm going to perfect my Obi-Wan Kenobi impersonation for that. One of these days, I'll get it right. Star Wars, the first Star Wars, when Luke Skywalker calls Ben Kenobi Obi-Wan, he says, Obi-Wan, that's a name I haven't heard in a lot. Anyway. Wrong podcast. Mm-hmm. Billy Dunleavy from magazinesandmonsters.com here. It's been a while since I checked in, but rest assured, every Thursday morning, I'm listening on my morning commute. The show is better than ever, and I love hearing your thoughts on these great films along with your guests. The most recent episode, The Monster of Piedras Blancas... Well done. Ooh. Is a film I just saw for the first time within the last year or two, but I think it's a good one. That scene with the severed head is great. The other segments on your show are cool, too, especially the one that spotlights the toys and models from back in the day. The reason I really love that one is because I see the advertisements in my old comic books all the time, so it's a great connection for me. The trailers that you play during the show are cool as well. Also, when you and Brenda do the feedback together, the show takes a turn into something more personal, which I thoroughly enjoy. You guys are a great pair and a great example of how a relationship should be. Keep up the great work. You hear that? You hear that? Yeah, keep working. Don't screw it up. (gasps) What? (laughs) As if I'd be the one who screwed it up. Hey! Uh, the, the segment with the uh, toys and models. Michael Dodd was the man who was submitting those. And I haven't heard from him in a little while. I did shoot him an email. Yeah. And I haven't heard back. So, Michael, if you're out there, I hope you're doing all right, man. Drop yes. Line. Don't feel obligated. Just keep on surviving. Yeah. I, do I, I just want to make sure you're do. okay. Yeah. yeah. But we are a little worried. A little bit. What Send out that? the hounds. Why are you? <laughs> well, I don't want to freak him out or anybody. You no, know, just and like, he's not obligated. It would just be good to know that. He's alive. He didn't fall into his plastic melting machine and come out in the shape of a monster. Of all the ways for a monster kid to go, though, that's the way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that was nice from Billy. Monster Piedras Blancas. Fun episode, man. That was a fun episode last week with Chris McMillan. That was a blast. Yes. Severed heads in a 1950s monster movie. Who would have thought? Really, really cool. What do you mean, who would have thought? 1950s. You think it's too gruesome? Well, it was pretty gruesome for what it is. It's kind of surprising when you look at something like Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is like the iconic 1950s man-sized monster Mm. movie. You hear that, Steve Turek? You hear that, Anthony Wendell? That's foreshadowing. Creature from the Black Lagoon is the iconic 1950s monster movie. And, and, And when you look at that, there's not... I mean, there's a little bit of blood, but not really. Not a lot. But... Monster Piedras Blancas, there's 
a couple of heads. It's pretty gruesome for well, what it is. what country? Here. Here. This American. Yeah. yeah. And how did it do? Uh, yeah. Not nearly. I mean, it didn't have the widespread distribution then couldn't. or now. I it mean, probably it couldn't. Just recently came out on Blu-ray a couple years ago for the first time. It hadn't been released on disc for, well, I think at all. Legally. Oh, okay. So, magazineandmonsters.com is the dead letter office. So, hold on. Magazine or magazines? Magazines, plural. Okay. And monsters, plural. (laughs) Dot com, com, singular. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's comic book and movie reviews. Right on, man. So, on October 9th, Adventure into Fear 23, 1974, Alone Against Arcturus. Oh, is that the review, the comic he's reviewing? Cool. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, Billy. It featured Man-Thing. Man-Thing? Man-Thing. It's a Man-Thing. Well, that's that's cool, though. You know, he had his own title at Marvel for a while. It was called Giant Size Man-Thing. Oh. Oh, wow. There's whole pages of this comic in here. Giant Sized Man-Thing. Oh, look at this. Gold Key Comics, Boris... Boris Karloff, Tales of Mystery and Dark Shadows. I've got a couple of issues of that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind going back and reading more of them. Yeah. I don't think Karloff really had much to do with them. They just kind of licensed the name and image, but still. Oh. <laughs> still it's still cool. Yeah. There's like a wizard in a hat pointing at an ape man thing, and clouds are coming out of his fingers. But then right next to it, somebody is given a piggyback to an ape man thing. Well, eight man things like to play too. I don't know. Oh, the monster drew strength from the human he was slowly killing. As you do. Yes, by piggybacking him. To well, death. yeah, yes. that would do it for me. Yeah, I know. Kill me quickly. There, no slowly about that. <laughs> Hi again, Derek. Hello again, you. Great show this week. I remember being thoroughly creeped out by the full-page image in Famous Monsters of the Piedros Blancos monster thoughtfully holding the severed head, like some kind of nightmare interpretation of Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for everything. Have a great week, Al. So that's Alistair. Right. Book? The book guy. Yes. It's amazing. And I have recorded a really good episode with him. About the Hammer film, Dracula, A.D. 1972. And I can't wait for y'all to hear that. Do you talk about his book at all? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying we had a full-on episode about that. And we talked about his book. And we played the Classic Five. We did a full-on episode. It's awesome. I had a blast chatting with him. And as I say in the recording that you guys and girls are going to hear, it was a landmark for us because it was the first time we actually did a conversation with a fellow monster kid halfway around the world. He's in New Zealand. Oh. So we actually yes. Skyped into him in the future. <laughs> so I wonder if he would allow us to use one or two uh, images from his book so people could see what's in there, like what it looks like. I mean, surely that'll be on Amazon Look Inside or something. Well, it's not through Amazon. It's through a different publisher that kind of sells directly from their own website. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Amazon is losing out. I don't know what the deal is with Amazon distribution in 
New Zealand mm-hmm. and Australia and mm-hmm. the U- well, I guess it's in the UK. Anyway, uh, I will reach out to him. I have seen a review copy of it, so we've got the review images, and it's I gorgeous. I know. So, That's why I was thinking if you could share it with people. Yeah, we we'll, we'll figure something out. Okay. Thanks for writing it now. I really appreciate it. Hi, Derek and Brenda. Hello. Ah, oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Are you pouting? Yes. Great episode on the monster of Piedras Blancas. See, I think it's hilarious that every email has the name of the movie that you have to pronounce. It's awesome. Am I doing okay? Yeah. <gasps> Are you doing fine? <laughs> My goodness, I'm here to assist you. Uh huh. Mm. You're my Igor, is what you're saying. <gasps> well, I guess. You're a lot hotter. <laughs> I don't For think the record. that's. I don't think that's very hard. For the well. Oh. Uh huh. Uh huh. I have long wanted to see this movie, but it's honestly never crossed my path. I didn't realize Les Tremaine. Uh huh. Was in it. Being the comic geek I am, I always think of him as mentor from the 70s Shazam series. <laughs> he did have one heck of a voice for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm so jealous that you get to see the horror of Dracula on the big screen from a 35 millimeter print. Yes. That's my favorite Hammer film and favorite Dracula film. Sorry, Bella. That's my favorite. What just happened? Did you just realize? That's you my just f- realized. Oh my goodness, no. listeners, this is adorable. No. Oh yeah, it is. You're like, <gasps> That's my favorite Hammer film and favorite Dracula film. Sorry, Bela. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm also envious of you and your Portland area friends getting Return of the Vampire on the big screen at the Joy. Since discovering that film years ago on the $5 DVD bin at Food Lion, rawr, it has been one of my favorites. I do think that's probably Bela's best Dracula performance on film. I actually prefer Return, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, then Dracula, in that order personally, but I know that's probably heresy for some. Hmm. Anyway, enough rambling. Thanks for keeping the Monster Kid fire burning. And I look forward to your interview with Don Glute since I've long admired all of his genre works. Chris Franklin, Supermates in the House of Franklinstein. So at this point, you've already heard the interview with Donald Glute. Uh, it was a blast for me. I hope it was a blast for you as well and that you enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun chatting with him and was fascinated to find a link between his upcoming movie, Tales of Frankenstein and Wolverine. That was just really neat to talk about. A little sad, too, but it was awesome to talk with Don and spend the time with him on the show, so I hope you dug it. Uh, as far as the quote-unquote heresy, yes. I th- okay. I'm going to take Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein out of the mix, because even though Bela is playing Dracula in that film, he's not really playing the vampire archetype that he sometimes got saddled with. Mm. Instead, he's playing the mad scientist archetype that he oftentimes got saddled with. Mm. If you go back, and I be- it's one of Gary Rhodes' books, and I forget which one, but he breaks down 
most of Bela's roles into certain categories. There was the mad scientist, there was the outsider, there was the gangster, there was the hero, there was the vampire. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like Bela played the vampire type in Abbott Castell, even though he's Dracula. Because he's spending more time dealing with the science end of things. You so know what I mean? So you think it, you don't have to rank it in there because... So that's, that's, yeah, if yes. I'm going to compare the three, that one's right out. But comparing Return of the Vampire and the original Dracula... Yes. I love the original Dracula, but I will say he does get more to do in Return of the Vampire, for sure. And if you look at maybe his character motivations, he's got a little bit more of an arc. Yeah. Whereas in the original Dracula, he's just kind of Dracula, doing Dracula things. He's stuck in a rut, Dracula. Which is hard to kind of say because it's the first time he played Dracula Mm. on film and it's the first big movie he did, but... But it wasn't written with a character development in mind the original dracula was based on a stage play instead of the novel Mm. and because of that they were very constrained in terms of how many locations they had the cast things like that the novel there's like chase scenes through the mountains there's fighting gypsies there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening on the stage play it's basically in a room or two right and and that's about it. it's gorgeous Mm-hmm. But in terms of having more to do, I think maybe Return of the Vampire. I'm, I'm going to side with, with you here this week. So, might change my mind tomorrow. What if I forced you to rank Return, Abbott and Costello meet, and Dracula? Then Abbott and Costello would be number three, then, of the three. Oh. Just, I mean, it's a good film. Yeah. I like him a lot in that. And he definitely has a lot to do when he's got a, a mission. He's not just a guy who has a character arc, he has a flat out mission. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more pronounced. But. It'd still be my number three. All right. There we go. Horror of Dracula is happening later this month at the Northwest Film Center, 35 millimeter print. I'm going to talk about it at the end of the show. Uh, and man, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, boy. <laughs> so what is the House of Frankenstein? So the House of Frankenstein is something that Chris and Cindy Franklin at the Supermates podcast do every year. They usually start at the end of September and they run through Halloween where they change their show up to where they're doing nothing but horror monster movie stuff Mm. and this is the third year i believe or the fourth year you know what i've got a promo i'll play it right now come back back through the fire and water network come back with the supermates i said come back Back to the House of Frankenstein. The Supermates present four blood-curdling films with an all-star cast. Lon Chaney Jr. I know you'll think I'm crazy, but in a half an hour the moon will rise and I'll turn into a wolf. Gary Busey. I'm a little too old to be playing the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. Christina Ricci. I'd love to have a tame one, but I wouldn't have the heart to cage him. Corey Haynes. I want you to turn this into a silver bullet. Bela Lugosi. You should be careful. A person can get killed that way. Johnny Depp. No, you must believe me. It was a horseman, a dead one. Headless. Peter Cushing. Have you heard of the cult of the undead? Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Do you know what could happen if I meet Dracula in the woods? I'll bite. Oh no, you gotta stand in line. Plus four monstrous battles with your favorite comic book heroes. I sense you're trying to resist this evil, Batman. Open your mind so I can help you. Destroy me, Jean. Booster Gold, Vampire Slayer. 
This September and October, come back to the Fire and Water Network and the home of horror and heroes. I believe you're in the house of Dracula right now. No, wrong address. Come back to the house of Frankenstein. Back. Back. Yes, master. He thinks I'm Dracula. I love the House of Franklin Stein. I love what he does. It's my favorite time of year, and that's part of the reason why. Mm. So, just saying. Thanks for writing in, man. So, nothing he has anything to do with. Just part of the year. I'm saying that... (laughs) Okay, you know how over the years I've said that October doesn't, quote-unquote, officially start until the Lovecraft Film Festival? Mm -hmm. It's something that I look forward to every year. It's part of my October. Part of my October has also become... House the, of Franklin. Exactly. Okay. It's, it's like one of the things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So we have one voicemail that was left for me. I'll play it right here. Oh, hey, Derek and Monster Kids. This is Anthony Wendell, author of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. I'm just getting through some older episodes. I let myself slip a bit. And I just came to the rallies. Oh, what what am I drinking? Why, this is a big old cup of Derek's Tears after... The creature from the Black Lagoon was bested twice by Godzilla. Ah, so refreshing. Take care. Bye now. Ouch. And that's why he hasn't been on the show in a while. (gasps) (laughs) That's not true at all. (laughs) That's not true at all. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of grief over this from people. Yes. <laughs> and I know it's playful. I'm guessing that that cup of tears was not just salty, but a little bitter. No. <laughs> so uh, Steve Turek has also been giving me a lot of grief over this. And some listeners who follow me on Facebook know that I've been eBaying some items here and there over mm, the past several right. weeks. And Steve Turek has won one of my Blu-rays. Right. And in the package that I sent him, actually, take that back, it was magazines. On the package I sent him, I addressed it to Steve quote, the rallies were rigged, unquote, Turek. Uh, on the back, I put hashtag justice for Gilly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, the gill man was robbed, and uh, it sounds like Steve Turek wasn't working alone in hacking the rallies, Anthony. <laughs> Whatever you have to believe to be able to fall asleep at night. In all seriousness, I need to get him back on the show down the line, man. Okay. You know, maybe when I'm, maybe when the scars aren't nearly as fresh. Yes. <laughs> All right, so thanks to everybody for writing in. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is how you do that. Or if you want to send me a recording like Tom did about a Monster Kid event that you have coming up or that you're going to, love to include that here on the show. And then I'll go over the voicemail number at the end of the show as well. Uh, I did mention the horror of Dracula coming up. There's a bunch of other things, and I'll mention that here in a few minutes too. Brenda, anything else before I kick you out of the main recording chair? Thanks for having me, and I'm not really here to help you. Just to say hello to everybody else. Oh. Right. That's why you get away with <laughs> so much. So much lip. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. 
You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. Watch Jack. He thinks in a strong rock. Mm. There's plenty of Cuban sugar, though. Here's what happened. The general beat his friend Castro to the Cuban treasury. The strong box is now on this boat. So are a deported American gangster and his mall. And lurking in the depths is the creature from the haunted sea. You're a crazy mixed-up kid. I am perfectly adjusted to my life of crime. Don't worry, Mary Bell. I'll save you. It's all right. Be calm, everybody. The boat's insured. Filmed on a spectacular scale in breathtaking technicolor, here is the bone-chilling motion picture the critics have called a classic shocker, The Mill of the Stone Mill. Why do beautiful young women suddenly turn to stone? Against this eerie background, a twisted mind has plotted a series of sadistic events you wouldn't believe possible until you see them. It's a corpse. Handsome Pierre Brice and Europe's fabulous new star, the extravagantly beautiful Sheila Gabel. They say that trouble began with a woman, and you'll see why in the terrifying Mill of the Stone Women. You've never seen anything like the Mill of the Stone Women, for until now, no one has dared tell such a shocking story on the motion picture screen. The Stone Women is the entertainment event of a lifetime. Don't miss the mill of the stone women. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you guys and gals for making it to the end of the show. I really hope you enjoyed 
the ride. Man, this week's episode was a treat to put together. Again, big thanks to Donald F. Glute for being part of the show. I really can't wait for the film. Tales of Frankenstein is going to be amazing. Just Oh, man, I'm getting goosebumply thinking about it. Also, thanks to Jeff and Dominique for always being part of the Weird Wednesday crash whenever we do something like that. And thanks to Tom for sending in that report of the movies that he saw, as well as telling us about the upcoming screenings. Again, he said it was Scars of Dracula and Horror of Frankenstein. It looks like these are restored films. Oh, wow. Yeah. 2K Restorations. It's going to be a good time if you are in Durham, North Carolina. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes to Carolina Theater, and that's theater with an R-E instead of an E-R at the end, .org. If you're in the area, man, go check out these films and then call in and let me know what you think of them. You can always call about anything Monster Kid related at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or if you want to send us an audio file like Tom did, just email it to us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Of course, you can find all of this over at monsterkidradio.net, where we've got links to everything that we talk about here on the show. We also have links to our Twitter page, our Facebook group, our Facebook page, our Patreon page, page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show that way. Everything you need to know, it's right there. Also on the website, I try to make sure there's some sort of preview video to let people know what's coming up next on Monster Kid Radio. And I'm going to direct you to our website because I'm not 100% sure what's going to be coming out next. I've got a handful of amazing recordings in the virtual can. And honestly, they're all so good. I don't know how I'm going to pick what's next. So stay tuned to the website or the YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash monsterkidradio because I'm going to announce there what's coming up on future episodes of the show. I can tell you what's coming up here in the local area this Saturday afternoon at the Hollywood Theater. I'm going to be joining Chris McMillan and Dominique Lamsey's for a screening of Curse of the Demon. I cannot wait. And have I admitted this on the show yet? I've never seen that film. I've never seen it as Curse of the Demon or Night of the Demon. I just have never seen it. I am so looking forward to checking that out. That's going to be a blast, man. Oh, boy, that's going to be good. And the next Saturday, Horror of Dracula at the Northwest Film Center. 35mm print. Mm, that's going to be a lot of fun, too. If you're in the Portland, Oregon area... I would love to meet up with you and record with you or even just say hi. I would love to experience these films with you because there's nothing better than watching monster movies with a group of friends. So if you're in the area, come on down. I'm hard to miss. Introduce yourself and, well, we'll just have a good time. Of course, there will be links to these over at Monster Kid Radio. Net. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Marvelous Equations. That belongs to the German surf band Monokini. It's from their album Systopia, which you can pick up for just under 11 euros. 13 songs. They're all great. Check them out over at monokini.bandcamp.com. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.